They're the people who, when they get a suggestion that they haven't heard, or they're not quite sure how to do, they don't take it. You know, right. or then there's a kind who, when they hear something they've never heard before, or their first thought is, I'm not sure how to do that, they get excited. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast where it's all about believing in and executing on different and innovative ways to strengthen both your leadership and communication skills to help increase your success, and especially in today's disruptive business environment. One of the most effective ways of building stronger leadership and communication skills is by embracing the principles of improvisation. (laughs) Yes, that's right, improv. Your host, Peter Margaritas, is an improv virtuoso. He's also a certified speaking professional and a CPA, also known as the Accidental Accountant. Each episode of Change Your Mindset is designed to bring you different and innovative ideas, thoughts, and behavioral changes on a variety of differing topics, with the sole purpose of strengthening your critical soft skills. We may call them soft skills, but they are the hardest to master. And when we do, greater success and growth is the result. So jump in and start changing your mindset now. Let's start the show. What happens when two improvisers are on a podcast? (laughs) Well, you're about to find out. My guest today is fellow improviser, Avish Prashar. And Avish grew up in exotic Poughkeepsie, New York, and now makes his home in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He performed all through high school and he decided to stop performing when he went to college to focus on his studies. His parents were very proud of this decision. That resolve lasted only a few months as the first time he saw an improv comedy show, he fell in love. His parents are now slightly less proud. One week later, he auditioned for the campus improv group, got in, and the rest is history. After graduating, he started Polywampus Improv Comedy, which performed regularly in and around the Philadelphia area for seven years. Avish closed up Polywampus to focus on the speaking and training side of the business, using improv comedy as a tool to teach valuable business skills such as creativity, innovation, and adaptability. Weaving together humorous stories, jokes, audience interaction, and improv comedy games, Avish keeps his audience engaged while imparting a key lesson. Planning is important, but improvising is essential. No matter how well you plan, things will go wrong, surprises will arise, and the universe will throw you a curveball. Your success and sanity are directly related to how you respond to these challenges. By the end of one of Avisha's presentations, you'll have the key tools to flow with all that life throws at you. Avisha's spoken to very creative actors and directors, the very uncreative wait for it, wait for it, accountants, very casual college students, and very business-like sales professionals. The end result is always the same, smiles, laughs, and a new way of looking at life and business. Avish is the author of Improvise to Success and the Amazon best-selling Say Yes And, and his parents are now once again very proud. So before we get to the interview, just a couple of housekeeping items. Please subscribe to and share this podcast episode with a friend. I greatly appreciate your support. Also, please visit my YouTube channel, The Accidental Accountant, where you can see this video episode and a number of other past podcast interviews. And while you're there, 
please subscribe to my YouTube channel. This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. This episode is sponsored by Peter A. Margaritas, LLC, also known as The Accidental Accountant. Are you looking for a speaker that can bring powerful content, virtually or in person or on-site, that is memorable and engaging in a way that motivates and inspires your audience? Instead of data dumping and numbing with numbers, imagine your people and teams delivering a financial story to your stakeholders. A story that creates engaging and relationship-building business conversations. Would you be interested in learning more about how that is accomplished? How would you feel if the value your facilitator provided your organization far exceeded the dollar amount on their invoice? Peter Margaritas, CPA and Certified Speaking Professional, delivers all of the above and much, much more. All of Peter's programs can be done virtually, in-person and on-site at your location, or at an off-site venue. Send Peter a note at peter at petermargaritas.com and or visit his website at www.petermargaritas.com to learn more about what Peter can bring to your next conference, management retreat, or workshop. And now, let's get to the interview with Avish. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Wow, this is, I, I've been looking forward to this interview. I, I, I love all my interviews and, and my guests. But when I get a fellow improviser on my podcast, I get giddy. I mean, this, who knows what's going to happen in this interview? It could go every which way, but this is going to be fun. And first and foremost, Avi, thank you so very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be a guest on my podcast. My pleasure, Peter. I am giddy also. <laughs> giddy and excited. I, I actually met you for the first time at an NSA Pitt Philadelphia convention, our national convention was in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what year that was, but you did a presentation on improv. So I sat through that and I went, oh, okay, I, I get it. And I've kind of followed you around through social media stuff, and our paths have crossed a couple times, uh, most recently when we could go to convention live. 2019, we were in Denver. We got a chance to chat a little bit. And then I saw you at the NSA Pittsburgh virtual, and I said, I need to get on the show. I've said that I wanted you on the show, and and I'm getting older. My mind's not as good as it was. (laughs) And I'm glad we crossed paths again because I've been looking forward uh, to interviewing you. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and I uh, always, you know, there are people within NSA, the Speakers Association, who do improv, and every so often you come across them. It's always great when you do. Uh, so I was happy when, you know, I think you introduced yourself to me and we chatted. So, yeah, it's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to chatting about improv and whatever else we may talk about. <laughs> so my first question to you is, how did you find improv? Uh, I found improv kicking and screaming. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, um, so, you know, in improv, obviously, we talk about yes and versus yes, but first plug of the day. Uh, I wrote a book called <laughs> Say Yes And. So this is my thing. Well, when I went to college, I went, I did theater in high school and it took so much time. And I figured there's no way I could do that in college. So I went to college to get an engineering degree, which made my parents very happy. Right. <laughs> uh, Indian boy going to get a mechanical engineering degree, but no theater or anything. 
and but just messing around friends there was one friend who said hey you know you're you're really funny you should try out for the improv group and guess what i said no i said yeah but my thing's not really improv i just kind of i quote like movies and it's not really fit in that format and and he would keep kind of dropping him he was a kind of a he nagged a lot uh so <laughs> kept bringing it up and i kept saying no and the irony of that is i had not even ever actually gone to see a show i just mm. said no this is not for me and then he sort of uh it was like a romantic comedy there was one weekend where he had a buddy coming in from out of town and he was involved in some saturday night activity he's like hey you know my friend's coming in uh but i gotta do this thing do you think you could hang out with him uh i was like yeah no problem he's like you know the improv group's doing a show that night if you guys wanted to go i was like ah so we went um it was hilarious and looked like so much fun and you know at the end they said we're having auditions next week so i just on a lark i went it just because it looked like fun audition got in and you know that was i guess february or march of 92 and uh my life has been completely changed so where were you getting your undergraduate degree uh, university of pennsylvania okay right but you didn't go in as a, but you didn't go in as a theater major you went in as an engineering mechanical engineer i believe that you said but i went to get a degree in mechanical engineering uh transferred to computers because you know i gotta be more indian than i already am <laughs> uh but really all the way up till mid late junior year i was still gonna graduate with a degree in engineering and mm. maybe go to grad school or maybe get a job mm. um and then towards the end of college people started saying to me you know you're you're good at this like are you gonna do any performing or acting or anything afterwards and again no 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 mm. but the more it kind of rattled around my head the more i thought well i am good at this and i love doing it so you know after college i decided to not go on to like a real job quote unquote and i just i started my own improv group here in philadelphia with the dreams of turning it into like the second city of philadelphia mm -hmm. uh, and that you know <laughs> didn't happen <laughs> uh but i learned a lot along the way and i learned you know because i was both artistic director and business manager i was read and i love reading and learning i was you know i would live in like the business and personal development sections of bookstores and i would just like has voracious appetite for reading about marketing and leadership and teamwork and communication and motivation and goals and that's kind of how i started seeing some of the crossover and transitionary there so i have a question for you and this just, just dawned on me it happened to me the other day i mentioned to somebody that was preparing for a presentation mm -hmm. and that because it was under time constraints i was using, i went to see how many words would cover that time frame and I got to snarky remark from this person. It's like, I thought you guys just wing it. Didn't improv just winging it? And that's the, probably one of the biggest myths that's out there about mm -hmm. it is that we just make stuff up. Can you address that? Uh, yeah. So we do make stuff up, but within constraints and guidelines. Right. You know, it's easier if you think about improv as a sport than theater, only from the context that, like, if you're going to play basketball, you practice, you run plays, but when you get onto the court, you don't know what's going to happen. And you mm -hmm. got to kind of respond in the moment and adjust and take what's given to you and make something out of it. And that's what we do with improvise. Yeah. I say that like improvising is not winging it number one. And for most people, and in many cases myself, improv is not your first choice. Like when I present a keynote, I have, I play improv games within my 60 minute keynote. Mm -hmm. But the content blocks are, are pretty much the same. Like I tell the stories, I know what I'm gonna say. 
So I'm not, I don't just get on stage and wing it every time. But if the client comes along and is like, oh, hey, we're cutting your time, or mm -hmm. if something interesting is happening in the room, you have that freedom to improvise. But, you know, it's a great, what I often say in workshops is like, I'm just giving you different tools for your toolbox. And, you know, you don't use one tool for everything. It's just improv is one tool amongst a few. I think it's a great tool. Right. And, and the one thing I've learned over the years about improv is, and you said you love to read. You, you hang out in sections of, the, of bookstores and look for, you know, the, the more that we expose ourselves to reading and reading different topics than we normally mm -hmm. do, it different, helps with that inventory in our head when it comes time to, oh, this might work here. Let me craft it so it fits versus I, don't, I only have a shallow pool in my head. I'm, 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 mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have that, that deep end of knowledge. And I think that's another thing that people don't get about improvisers. We love to read. We love to study. We love to think we love to as much of the environment around us into us. So then we can play with that environment at some point in time. Yeah. And I think, I think the overall word I would use for that for improvisers and just general comedians is, is observation. Like the yes. more you observe, the more you have to kind of pull from end up, uh, I'm going to pitch someone who's not me, uh, a New York Times author, uh, there's a guy named Stephen Kotler who just wrote a book called The, or he's got a book called The Art of Impossible, which I love. I read it. Mm. And when I heard him on an interview, he basically, everything he said he talked about in the book is everything I've kind of been dealing with or wanting to improve or struggled with for the last like, you know, one to 20 years. But as I'm reading, he's done a lot of like research and neuroscience and this and that. And as I was reading, he has a whole section on creativity and the pat of myself on the back, so much of what he said kind of validated with data, the things I had been teaching anecdotally. And one mm -hmm. of those is like this loose connection idea that like he suggests every day you read 25 pages from a book that is outside your core competency, because that opens up your creativity and connections, get your mind working in different directions. And yeah, it's because you never know what an audience is going to throw at you, number one. <laughs> right. So your ability to respond to that. And number two, you know, the whole way, and we didn't go super in depth in this, but like for me, the way the creative mind works is you get your ideas pop up from your subconscious. And so the more things you have in there, the more random but connected ideas you can play off. And that's where the fun comes from to me. Yeah. Oops, Whoa. Coaster stuck to my water glass. Uh, he says it's water. Uh, <laughs> it's 1.50 in the afternoon Eastern Standard Time, so we'll take him on that. On that. It's PM, so. It's PM somewhere. So as you found it, you had the improv group, you've done it, you performed it. Now you're out helping others. Mm -hmm. improve by using improv in some way shape or form because i would think every keynote that you have there's a thread of improv that runs through it uh yeah i mean for me it's not even a thread it's like a <laughs> hammer right i said a tool <laughs> yeah i know a lot of speakers who use improv but they sort of keep it in the background or it's just one like thing they mention or touch mm -hmm. upon um like for me it's right up front like my tagline is how to improvise adapt and innovate you know, the title of my keynote is Ding Happens, which is Ding is an improv game. So I start right out, right out saying life is like improv comedy. Like you got mm -hmm. a plan, but Ding Happens, you got to adjust. So yeah, throughout the program, I'm playing improv games with volunteers, having the audience play games. So it's a, it's like the whole program. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way with mine. I, I'm pretty upfront with it. And, and just mm -hmm. because I want them, I want them to be, get a little uncomfortable, but hopefully to get them comfortable and not, mm -hmm. you know, just kind of sneak it in somewhere. I, you, you probably remember this guy's name. I, I, I saw him at NSA 
winter. He was in Austin. He was an improviser. I can picture him, old, kind of an older guy. He, and he talked about applied improvised. Improvis yeah, is that Izzy Gazelle? Izzy Gazelle. Mm -hmm. And then he was doing stuff, but he was having people at the table do it before he brought up volunteers to make sure that there was this safe environment yep. out there. And, and prior to that, I'd never even tried that. And I incorporated that that philosophy in to get people just comfortable because there's something about the word improv that kind of scares people. Yeah, because people want to know what they're getting into before they get in. <laughs> so it's like, ah, oh, what do I do? And you know, one of them in my most of my keynotes, I I'll get volunteers and I'll bring them up and I'll have them play what is many people consider like many people I've dealt with consider like one of the harder improv games out there. It's a game called Scenes Without the Letter where you supposed to have a conversation, but there's one letter of the alphabet you're not allowed to use in any word you say. And if you do, we ring the bell, you go out and someone comes in and takes your place, and then you're switching in and out. Now, this is a challenging okay. game. Yes. So I bring up two volunteers who have no improv experience and have them play the game. And I just give them the two bits of advice in advance, which is, look, just have fun and just be willing to fail. And 90, 95% of the time, they actually do quite well with it. And, you know, I love that you're... you're Show is called you know change your mindset because that's what I that's a section I called improvisers mindset and I think I just listened you had a podcast episode titled that and um, for me I define the improvisers mindset as the combination of have fun be willing to fail and focus on your what you can control and so I use that game mm -hmm. to demonstrate that and it's amazing how now what's funny about that one is other games I tell the audience what they're going to do when they come up mm -hmm. <laughs> that one. I get the volunteers, then I tell oh. them what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah I would imagine everybody sitting on their hands if you tell them exactly what they're going to be doing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's a there's a little bit of pre-selection bias because someone who is willing to come up is going to be a little more willing to have fun and willing to fail. So that helps. And if it's a workshop, I'll have the whole audience do it then in small groups of three. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, since you... You're talking about how you want to make them uncomfortable and then comfortable. I don't know if you feel this way, but you know, one of the best comments afterwards is when people say, like, I was a little nervous doing it, but it went really well, or I didn't think I could. And oh man, I was so surprised, like how well it went. Yeah. I had this one guy came up to me and goes, I was about to kill you when you when my when my friend volunteered because bring somebody else up. Uh-huh. And he said he was so nervous inside, he was so petrified. But after he was done, he went, That's not that bad. It was actually a lot of fun. I just psyched myself out. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people just assume they can't do it. Right. It's that it's that that, that fear of the unknown. But I, I think when improvisers look at that unknown as, oh, let's find out. Let's look into it. Let's let's figure it out being comfortable with the uncomfortable. It, uh, it is. It's it's true and it's weird because uh, I talk about this in some of my keynotes as well. I, I find that I can separate most improvisers into two categories when we're talking short form suggestion, mm -hmm. game based. Is there the people who, when they get a suggestion that they haven't heard, or they're not quite sure how to do, they don't take it, you know? Right. Or then there's a kind who, when they hear something they never heard before, or their first thought is, I'm not sure how to do that, they get excited. Mm -hmm. um, and I tend to fall in the second category. Like, I, I even say this, if someone in an audience yells out a suggestion I've never done or heard, I'm like, and especially if it makes me smile, I'm like, all right, I'm going to take that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's fun that even improvisers still have that, like, even people with years of experience can fall in that rut of like, well, I don't know where this is going to go, so I don't want to do it. You know, let me let me just, how about a location? Oh, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, let's do the coffee shop. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, take, take, the one that's, take, the, take the one that's given. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. It's like, I get excited about 
going to someplace I don't know mm -hmm. and, and, and what's going to happen and, and what what especially when it comes to what we do in front of an audience you don't know that audience mm -hmm. and you're going out there and walking with I call it without a net and a lot of which people, was the name of my college improv troupe <laughs> was oh, without a net mm -hmm. oh nice <laughs> that's what we do but I think it's because one we accept failure yeah and we and the other piece of it is we only focus on things we have control over, not the things we don't have control over. Mm -hmm. And I think those two things are just the exact opposite of what most people deal with every single day, especially in their jobs. Yeah, they don't want to mess up and their minds are focused on everything they can control. Like what's my boss going to say or what's a client going to complain about or is this going to work? And yeah, and it's amazing just like productivity and stress are affected by that. Like the more you just focus on, hey, what am I doing right now? Like you get more done mm -hmm. and you feel less stress. More time, your attention goes on everything outside of your control. Like you freak out, you get anxious and you you don't get as much work done. Right, that that anxiety begins to build. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't know about you, but when COVID hit, I, first couple of days I was a little freaked out. And I said, I, you know what? I got to figure this out. I only can control today. I can't control tomorrow. And as this kept moving forward, tomorrow was always much different than it was the day before. Yeah. I, I wouldn't try to get too far out. And I, I can't, that's done. Yesterday's done. So just focus on today. And I think that's the, I have, I'm not going to jinx myself, but I, I've, made, I've made great strides up to this point today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. So when I talk about dealing with change, you know, I talk about um, getting better versus getting through. And for many people, when the change happens, their thought is, how do I get through this? Mm -hmm. Like, how do I maintain the status quo so when things end, I can kind of go back to the way it was? And that's what I did when the calendar sort of emptied out and everything mm -hmm. shut down. And, and so I'm like, let me just keep trying to get the bookings. And when it comes back, and but then I step back and said, okay, well, how can I use this to my advantage? How can I get to a place that's even better than pre-COVID? And I hated virtual presenting for a while. But I've embraced that. And now I'm kind of enjoying it more now that the bookings are coming back when someone's like, oh, we got an in-person in the fall. I'm like, ah, oh, really? Like, I'm kind of like, I sort of like, like doing it this way. You know, and I start working on some new stuff to like, you know, so yeah, it's just what you can control, but you can also control like, how can I get to a better place instead of just, you know, how can I go back to where the way it was before? Which is where a lot of people's first instinct is, I think. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that that is the status quo of everybody's thinking as we went into this, I want to go back to what it used to be. Mm -hmm. But then I go, well, wait a minute. And I know some people want to go back, you know, 20, 30 years. I go, well, you want to go back when the World Wide Web was just an internet service? <laughs> mm -hmm. do, do you want to go back to when you're driving a car and you don't have those little, you know, blind side alerts that so you don't get into a wreck? <laughs> mm -hmm. well, yeah. So that's kind of what I've been working on, what I try to get people to work on. is like, all right, how do you, and you know, the, the question is, whatever project you're working on, if you could wave a magic wand and go back to the way it was before, would you? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, then you're not working on a better solution. You're working on a getting through solution. Mm -hmm. And you, in improv, this is the same way. A lot of, you know, even experienced improvisers, you get a bit of a one-track mind, like you're improvising, and then something throws the scene in a different direction or something happens. Mm -hmm. And when you, a lot of people will just try to acknowledge that mistake, but then go back. But if you can kind of follow that thread, to me, that's when like that real brilliant creativity happens is when you are forced to go in a direction you had no idea you were going to go in. That's when the best stuff happens. 
A absolutely. And I, I keep this little sticky on my, my, my desktop. Uh, it says, if this is true, then what else is true? Mm -hmm. that, and so if, if this is actually, what, what you're giving me is actually true, and I have the yes and philosophy, and I'm accepting that, what else can be true from that? Hmm. And I, I think that helps in that also that, that creativity is by accepting and going, all right, what else can I make of this? But we're not going to, we're not going to kill all of our competition salespeople just in order for our profitability to rise. Right. And that was said to me in a, in a, a creativity workshop, but I, we accepted that and said, well, if that is true, what else, what else could we make of it other than going to jail? <laughs> well, I also tell people that along those lines, like, you know, following, like being willing to play with and explore stupid and terrible ideas is a great creativity exercise because it like you're not going to, you know, like the idea is let's do something illegal. Obviously, you're not going to do it. But by letting your mind play with it, that can lead to something that you never would have thought of if you immediately said, oh, no, we can't do that. So that playfulness and that exploration is so critical. How do you get so when you work with uh, we'll get outside the, the, the conference here, but when you're working with a company mm -hmm. and you're inside the company working with them, how do you get them to become playful? Because I'm in a I might be in a suit, I might be in a you know some work attire, and this is within the office environment. How do you get them within that workshop to take that playfulness, that mindset in order to be successful throughout your workshops? So a couple things. Uh, number one is, you, as the presenter, I for me everything's part performance. Mm -hmm. So I perform. I might kick things off by playing ding, mm -hmm. and that gets them laughing right away, right? So mm -hmm. once they're laughing and having fun, it's a lot easier. But if I get up there and just seriously telling, listen, you got to have fun, like. But if I already got them laughing, number one, number two, and this kind of comes back to what you were talking about with Izzy, I try to you know, gradiate the level of involvement. So I'll start with a simple turn to your partner exercise. And that gets them loosened up and laughing a little bit. And then the next level of difficulty and next. So it's by taking them through a process, it, it's, I'm not trying to get them way out of their comfort zone in the very first step. It's like step-by-step mm -hmm. step progressing them through. And early on in the workshop, I try to do an exercise around the power of the mindset and fun. Mm -hmm. So then I can refer back to it throughout. So I, I have to believe, as my audience is listening to this conversation, you said this one word a couple times, ding. Oh, yes. <laughs> Would you mind doing an, a, a demonstration of the ding that you're talking about? Sure. I, 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 I saw you do this uh, at the workshop in Pittsburgh, and I thought it was brilliant. And for me to ding for you with, with this, it might come across a little bit delayed. But yeah, do some self-dinging. <laughs> All right, so yeah, this is a game called Ding. I'm going to start telling a story. Anytime Peter says Ding, I'm going to roll it back, say something different, and change the story. Okay, so and it's called Ding because normally I have a bell. <laughs> so I'll just say the word Ding. Okay, sounds good. You ready? Okay. Yep. All right. Uh, once upon a time, uh, there was a man who loved to collect stamps. Ding. And every, there was a man who loved to collect squirrels. Ding. There was a man who loved to hunt squirrels. He would go out into the park every day and look for squirrels. And one day he saw a giant squirrel. It was, he saw a tiny squirrel. It was a small Ding. squirrel. He saw a female squirrel and he felt feelings he hadn't felt in a long time. He had a lonely man. If you're a squirrel collector, you're kind of a lonely guy. And he looked and said, my, you are a beautiful squirrel. And he, was, he said, come with me, squirrel. And he grabbed the squirrel and said, you're going to be with me. 
and she just bit him right on the nose. Dang. She, he, she kissed him right on the mouth. And he's Dang. like, he, she smacked him in the face with her little claws and he got scratched and he dropped her. And she said, don't you know how to treat a woman? He said, but you're not a woman, you're a squirrel. She said, I'm a female squirrel, don't you know? And listen, if you want to get my attention, you need to be nice to me. Don't just grab me. And so she said, if you want to get my attention, you need to buy me dinner. You got to wine and dine me. You got to let me order lobster. Let me order a la carte. So he said, fine. I don't have a lot of money, but I will spend an entire month's budget taking you to dinner. So he said, I have no money. So I will buy you a hot dog and you will like it. She said, oh, that was pretty rough, but I kind of like a man who takes charge. So I'll tell you what. She says, ooh, that was mean. I'm not going to get you. And you know what? I'm going to tell all the squirrels. We're going to rise up. We know you've been hunting us. We're all going to kill you. So she started squeaking. And all these squirrels came. And they ate him. And he died. And all the squirrels lived happily ever after. <laughs> and there you go. That is the game ding. <laughs> <laughs> that was really good. That was, that, that was really, really good. I, I have a colleague. She's actually a CPA in um, Grand Rapids. And she's an improviser. Mm-hmm. And she is up there with you as it relates to Ding. She said her improv instructor, Ding, Ding, mm-hmm. Ding. He would go four, five, six, seven, eight times on a specific thing to really, uh, yeah. I just I, I work on that. I, sometimes I get stuck, but that was that was really good. That, that was that was a great job. Ah, thank you. That, that game is just so much fun. Like I love playing it. And... But could you use could you use that game maybe in a way to spar one's creativity? Yeah, actually, and I've done that in workshops. Is so I use that normally. I use it to frame the keynote talk of this how life works, blah blah, blah and then that becomes right. a theme. But I did, and I did this a lot virtually last year, virtual workshops on creativity and thinking differently. And so this game specifically is about getting off of tunnel vision and one track thinking. Right. So when I'm the one saying "ding" and working with people, the the natural inclination is to say something that is along the same lines of what you've already said. So, oh, you know, and so he went into this big house. He went into this giant house, ding. He went to this huge house, ding. He went to this mansion, ding. Variations on the same theme. Or you might stay on the same track, but go the opposite. And that I did quite a bit. You know, he saw a giant squirrel, ding. He saw a tiny squirrel. Mm -hmm. So one way you can do is you keep dinging, like you said with your friend, you keep dinging Mm -hmm. until the person is forced to say something that is completely on a different path. And so that's gets them out of, it kind of shows them like, look, you got to get out of the track you're on to be truly creative. Mm-hmm. And so you can use this in brainstorming yourself because mm-hmm. when we're brainstorming, a lot of times we're all writing the same kind of ideas. So use this kind of ding mechanic to force yourself to come up with something that is completely different. And then that often opens up the floodgates. Like I had no idea the story is going to end up with, you know, wherever it went. Right, 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 right. But it's because you kind of trust the blurting of the next word and just let it and follow that thread wherever it goes. So I, I've always said that when we're, when we're brainstorming for ideas, and you take, if you were like taking the first five minutes and ideas, just dropping ideas, dropping, you're getting the, the, the ones that are in the forefront of your mind. Mm-hmm. I, I, you're, you're clearing that path. The real gym is the ones that are after those that can actually solve that problem or create that new product. That yeah. because you, you, you're having to go deep. I'm, have, I'm, I'm forcing myself to think in different directions. It's like, bingo. Yeah, because if the, um, yeah, the first few that come up are ones you've already thought of, they're kind of in your conscious mind. And if that was the answer to your problem, you wouldn't have a very big problem to begin with because you're like, you right. the answer. <laughs> so the, the thing is you have to keep generating ideas when your mind is quote unquote empty. Mm-hmm. And the way I tell people to do that is to just keep talking. Like literally open your mouth and start talking and just say something. 
And that's, you know, and I play some improv games with people around this and it's amazing. That's one of the ones they come back when they're like, like, wow, that was fun. Or I, I can't believe like I was able to do that because it's literally one mechanic. It is open your mouth and start talking and it works, right? That's, that's the way I get people to access their creativity. That's why I have, honestly, I have a hard time doing long engagements or like long workshops or eight week engagements. Cause my whole thing, I like to distill stuff down. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I've got a handful of techniques, but from those techniques, like all so many things work. So I can't go into like, here's your 25 step process. And the first day we're going to do five. And the next day we're going to do like, mm-hmm. no, here's like three ideas. You got to practice them a lot to get good at them, but these are the ideas that will help you. And you just said the, the magic word, you have to practice them. Yeah. Not like Alan Iverson. Yeah, it's like Alan Iverson. I was interviewing one of my coaching clients uh, yesterday, and we were working on some presentation skills through this process. And I said, so what have you done now that, that our coaching is done? We're, we're two months out. And she goes, well, to be honest with you, after the class, after the coaching, I blocked out specific time on Fridays just to work on improv games that you taught me. Mm-hmm. And I went, thank you. I mean, that was probably one of the best compliments I think any of us could get to what we do. And, yeah. and one of her favorite ones was connect two things, two different things that would not go together mm-hmm. and create a story around it. She goes, I have found that to be so powerful. And, and what she does in her role is to practice that at least once a week for like 30 minutes. And it's just strengthening her more and more as she's getting so much more confidence, but she's doing the work after the fact. Yeah, that that actually going and applying what you talk about or practicing the skills, it is a huge compliment because that'd be as good as I think I am. You got to figure 90, 95, 99% of the audience just listens to it, says, oh, that was great. And then never actually does anything with it. Right, goes back, goes back to the rut that they bid it. I think that's the frustration that all of us who do what we do have is, we know, we, we, we want to tell us, like you said, everybody just going to do that, but when we know maybe one, but even if we just get that one, mm-hmm. that's a step in the right direction. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty huge. Yeah, just that, that the reward is like having someone say they use it and it helped or, yeah. So, so if, I, I think this is right. You are not a new daddy, but you've got a young child at home. Yeah, I have uh, one who just turned six and one who's about two and a half now. So Two, two and a half. And, and when I talk to audiences, I go, everybody in this room is an improviser. How many have had children? And all these hands go up and say, I don't know about you, but when I left with my son, they didn't give me a manual. <laughs> no. And if, and if they did, it wasn't the language that I could understand. So how did you figure out how to take care of this little human being? And mm-hmm. so you improvise almost every second with that child yeah because that child is always going to do things you know uh what to expect when you're expecting did not warn you about <laughs> absolutely so when, when you when your child you know has that projectile vomiting going on and you're like what do i do you find that you find the answer you, you you talk to somebody you ask somebody but you're just storing that information into yourself so you can use it later or to pass it on mm-hmm yeah, and so everyone's improvising when, you know, as a parent of children, and everyone, when they were children, were tremendously creative and imaginative, and it just, you know, you lose it, and it gets beaten out of you, and you're constantly told to watch what you do and say, and so you, you get very self-conscious, and you cut yourself off from all those great creative powers. So whether you have children or were a child, like, it's all in there. Uh, it's just, 
like that's what I mostly do when I'm training improvisers. Yeah, there's like, all right, you give them some things around skill and you know, what are the techniques you need to do? But a lot of it is just getting that filter out of the way so they can really express that creative genius that they really already have. Like I'm not making them more creative. I'm just kind of getting some of the barriers out of the way. Right. And, and who is it? Uh, Sir Ken Robinson, I believe. I may have his name wrong, but he's got mm-hmm. the number one downloaded TED Talks, How yeah. Schools Kill Creativity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very true. It's like you're not rewarded for being creative. And there's some stat I heard. I, I, I've tried to find the source. I can't remember where I heard, but it was a study or stat that says the number one most like requested skill employers have for their or desirable skill employers have for their employees is creativity. The number one most rewarded trait from employers is compliance. So everyone says we want someone creative and innovative, but what they reward is doing what you say. Right. That, that would be an interesting article to write, uh, but it's so true. Yeah. And oh, I tried to find the original source. I couldn't, but it's out there somewhere. So if you find it, let me know. <laughs> well, it was either, it was Fast Company cover story, I think in April of four or five years ago. And it was about creativity. And they said, one of the surveys that they did, is said leader, in leadership, one of the most needed quality is creativity. But mm-hmm. out of that number, only 27% were said that they were allowed to be creative. Kind of yeah. the same thing. And it's just, you know, the corp- it, it, it goes back to the culture of the organization. Yeah. What are they rewarding? What are they right. encouraging? What are they punishing? And yeah, it's more of that. There's a, a term that I've come across lately. And maybe when I first read it, what it meant, I said, that's improv. Have you heard of psychological safety? Uh, I have. I haven't read much about it, but I've heard of that. Yeah. But it's providing an environment that allows you to fail, allows you to take risks, allows you to speak your mind without being judged or punished. Mm-hmm. And I went, yeah. Well, that's just improv with some fancy words around it. It really is. <laughs> yeah. And then that, I think as an improviser, setting up that dynamic is important as a leader of an improv group. And, you know, even just as a participant, right? Like that's the whole yes and idea. It's like that's that pretty much creates psychological safety. If no matter what you say, I'm not going to say, yeah, but that's a stupid idea. Or, yeah, but that's way off track right now, Peter. If I can yes and that, even. Yeah, there's a nuance there in yes, because not every idea is in fact good and not every you know thing is safe to actually pursue, but it's how do you respond to that and address it makes a huge difference. And it's all about paying dividends down the road because yes, but is always, it's always more efficient in the short term. Like for me to say, yeah, but that's not what we're doing right now. It's going to save me time right now, but in the long run, it's going to you know reduce that relationship, remove that safety, kind of cut morale. So. You know, what's more important, the long-term or the short-term? The long-term, but we live in a short-term environment. Yeah, we really, really do. <laughs> yeah, that, that quarterly environment. But as you were saying that, I, I came across, I was working with the sales team, and we were doing no because, yes, but, and yes, and. And I, mm-hmm. when I debriefed them afterwards, I said, so what did you feel around yes, but? And they said, hope. Now I hope. Explain that. Well, in the sales world, if someone says yes, and they give me the but, they're telling me they might be interested in discussing it. There's something, mm. there's that obstacle standing in the way. And I went, that was an interesting thought because I had never put it in that perspective. But I guess in that field, somebody says, yes, but I've got a deadline. Well, okay, that's the objection. Right. Yeah, the sales would like the yes, but so they know what to talk about. That makes right. sense. What I, when I, I don't do a lot of work with sales groups. When I do, I talk about the yes, but as in like, don't then say yes, but 
to overcome the objection. Like if someone says, yeah, but I got a deadline, don't say, yeah, but here's how I'm gonna fix that for you because right. that creates that defensiveness. Right. But rather, yes, you have a deadline and here's like what we can do about that and I get it. Blah, blah. So, uh, but that, yeah, that is very, that's an interesting, I hadn't heard that either, but that well, is interesting. What I find in the accounting profession, they're excellent at no because and yes, but. Hey, I, I got a great idea. Yes, but we don't have the budget for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or no, because we don't have the budget for it. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and when the CFO is known as the CF no within an organization, <laughs> that, that says he's not pretty much an improviser or she's an improviser. Yeah. I find that no but is is pretty useful, though. And that's a nice, like, it's not as powerful as yes and. I find mm. that no but is good for shifting focus. Like if someone is wanting me to do something I really don't want to do, mm -hmm. if I'm kind of understanding what they're saying, I can say, mm, I can't do that, but here's what I can do. It kind of creates that, because here's the thing, but sort of negates what you said before it. That's why yes, but is false, because yeah, but no. Okay. But if I say no, but I'm kind of negating the but, softening it. I don't think it's, it's definitely not as powerful as yes and. So it's almost like a little bridging I have for people. Like you can say no, but like if you can say yes and, start with that. No, but's not a bad choice if you've kind of explored the yes and as a way of kind of maintaining some positive energy mm -hmm. without agreeing to things you don't want to agree to. Right. And that's what people think the yes and, well, I'm agreeing to something. So no, the philosophy of it is you're accepting someone else's opinion, thoughts. Yeah. And you're adding on to it. And somebody said, okay, yes and, you still suck. I went, no, <laughs> that's not the philosophy of it. It's yes and. Have you thought about this or have you explored this or let's take it maybe down this path and see what happens. And you can say yes and and still be saying no, but in a much kinder way. Yeah. And I also find that the yes and doesn't even have to be agreement. It's exploration. Right. So I say, you know, you push back because you think I'm agreeing, but you can just like if someone says, hey, you know, I want to, you know, we should invest in this new software package for a company. You can say, yeah, and tell me more about that. Yeah, and what are the benefits? Yeah, and why do you want to do that? Yes, and what are we going to get out of that? As opposed to immediately saying, yeah, but we don't need all those bells and whistles. So it's just an energy and a mindset, right? It's not like right. literally, yes, and let's also get a new computer. It's like, no, it's... You said it right. It's the exploration. It's allowing for the exploration mm -hmm. to occur. And, you know, when I work with leaders, I go, at some point, if you do this process right, and then you get to, to this one piece of go, yes, I, I hear you, I understand you. Have you put yourself in my shoes and figure out how I'm going to sell this to my boss? Mm -hmm. And they go, oh, no. <laughs> and I go, then go think about it, go figure it out. And someone said, well, what, you just having them do your job. I said, as a leader, aren't we supposed to be training people to take over our jobs, to take our jobs? Mm -hmm. Is that a great training tool? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great idea. I like that. Yeah. yeah. As we begin to wrap up, what is the biggest aha moment you've ever had in doing teaching, performing improv? Whoa. Uh, I, well, I can think of one or two. Uh, <laughs> the first one I had was this idea about focusing on what you can control. And this happened way back when I was doing improv. I think it was when I was in college. And there was you know, one person who was a little bit unpredictable uh in the group and a lot of people didn't like working with them because it was like 
you don't know what the heck's going to happen. And they're like, you, you throw one off around, they completely back like a non sequitur, totally random. It's frustrating and not fun. And so one day we're doing a show and I had to work with them and I just went in there like, oh, I don't know what they're going to do or say. So whatever they do, I'll just respond to it and build off of it. And that went pretty well that night. And then it got me thinking like, well, if this technique works well with someone who's unpredictable and not, how well would that work with, you know, people who are doing it kind of quote unquote right. And so that was like that moment where it kind of shifted from worrying about what's going to happen and what's and being like, Hey, you know what, no matter what happens, I'll just take it, accept it and build off of it. And that was like a, that was an aha moment. My improv Ooh. got, got better from that moment. So that's probably one of the big ones I think really, really worked for me. I love that story because the number of workshops that I've been in over the years, there's always that one person. Mm -hmm. There's always that one, you know, shoot from the hip, you can't predict. And I, you see people who don't want to, and I admit, I was probably one of them. And I think back, I went, man, I just missed an opportunity. Mm -hmm. But and I appreciate you sharing that story because now it makes me think about how many opportunities I've gotten to that situation that I, I was like going with the crowd, but not thinking it in a way of like, just go ahead and accept and let's see what happens. What's, what's the worst thing that could happen? Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Sure. And that's where um, it's funny. One of the first crossovers between improv and, and business stuff was Stephen Covey's Seven Habits book. I read that book from a business standpoint, but I started seeing the connections to improv right away. And from a larger sense, the structure of the book was another kind of sort of aha moment for me because the seven habits of highly effective people, the first three habits are independence, which is basically you working on yourself. The next three are interdependence, which is communication. Mm -hmm. And it's structured that way specifically because like you got to work on yourself before you work on others. And that was kind of an aha moment. And it, it sort of got where I want to develop to a point where the better I was and the more confident I was in my ability, the easier it was for me to, like you said, let go and just, take whatever this random person gives me. But if I'm insecure, don't think that I'm that good, then I'm going to be way more worried about what's going to happen on stage. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think I really worked on that mindset and kind of that ownership, like, hey, no matter what happens, like, you're good enough. Like, you know, you talk about that one person. I start my keynotes playing this ding game that we did, mm -hmm. bringing up a random volunteer. There's no, I haven't pre-selected them. I haven't talked to them. I don't know who it is. <laughs> and then I hand this bell and it could literally be an audience of a thousand people for a keynote. And I'm putting this bell in the hands of a random person. I give them a tiny bit of coaching on stage, like, all right, ring as much as you want, but more is better. And, and I think that's the area where a lot of people would be freaking out about, right? Like, I don't have the control over this. And that's one of those, like, it doesn't always work amazing, but it almost always does. And because mm -hmm. I have confidence in kind of what I can do and having that faith that, hey, no matter what happens, like, we're just going to roll with it and make it work. Absolutely. That, that's, that's great advice. I, I, so. I'm sure people can find you, but help people find you, Avish. All right. Well, the best place to find me and uh, you know see video clips and information about speaking programs and stuff is at my website, dinghappens.com. That's D-I-N-G happens.com. Yeah, and there's some information there. Uh, if you go to dinghappens.com slash podcast, uh, I am in the process of launching at least one, if not two podcasts. So if you want to kind of follow me as well, you can go there and check it out and I'm doing a virtual improv comedy class. By the time this goes live, the next class will already be well underway. But if you go to that podcast page, you can get information, kind of sign up to be notified from the next one if you know, you want to 
that's a straight improv comedy. It's not applied. It's not like leadership skills. It's like, I'm going to teach you how to do improv. So the main thing is go to dinghappens.com or dinghappens.com slash podcast. All right. So you said the, the P word podcast. Tell me about uh, these two podcasts real quick. Can you get, uh, All right, what's, so the, the, what's, what's the essence around them? Uh, so the first one is called motivational improv or the motivational improv podcast. And that's going to be, it's going to be like a, a daily dose of what I call inspiration, information, and improvisation. It's going to be three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Episodes going to be short, like 10 minutes. And basically I'll get on. I'll talk about a quick point, play an improv game. Hopefully it'll make you laugh and energize and then give you a takeaway. Like, look, I just played ding. Here's a lesson you can take away and apply right away. So it's like a, you know, on your way to work or start in the morning, 10 minutes, start your day with a little laughter and inspiration. The other one is probably gonna be launched a little bit later. Don't have a title for it yet, but it's uh, something I'm doing with a partner. It's going to be a combination, long form, short form, pure entertainment improv show, basically using short form improv games to tell long form, cohesive stories, usually in the style of a specific genre or movie. So we've done a bunch of play tests for it already. It's a lot of fun. We're still working out the kinks. Uh, yeah, when it launches, if if I can take what I've got in my head and realize it, it's, it's going to be pretty cool. Ooh, I, I, I love the first one, but I'm very intrigued by the second one. So uh, am I. And you can, you can find these on uh, Facebook. And I know that you, this, during the pandemic, you had a Facebook page that you were doing a lot of. Uh, it sounds like you're doing a lot of what you're going to be doing on the podcast, the first one, the 10-minute segments. Yeah, there's a Facebook group, which over the last couple of months got a little low involvement as I got focused on these other things. <laughs> uh, but once the podcast launched, the, the name of the Facebook group is Motivational Improv, which is the name of the podcast. So mm -hmm. they're going to tie it together. So again, there'll be a link to that on that podcast page and you can join the group. And you know, once the podcast launches, there'll probably be more tie-ins. They'll kind of be active again. Congratulations, one, for joining the world uh, podcasting. <laughs> Congratulations or condolences. We'll, yeah, see, uh, we'll see which way it goes. Whatever, whatever the case. But you know Rick Roberts out of out of Nashville, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I asked him, what's the most important thing to remember when you start a podcast? He said 18 months. You yeah, got to give I've, it 18 months. I've heard that, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. It's a, it's, it, it's a long 18 months, but then you start watching your numbers growing. Oh, this is really kind of cool. And I, we will post links uh, in the show notes where people can find you to the podcast and to your website as well. So I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your hectic, busy, improvisational day, spend <laughs> some time with me. And I look forward to our past crossing, hopefully at a live event soon. Hopefully. I can't wait. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. I want to thank Avish for his time and his stories about how improv is a communication tool for anyone. I mean, anyone in the business community. You've heard me say that a number of times. I will conclude with an improv quote that is fitting for this interview. Improv takes place in the present tense. I hope everyone's vaccinated. Stay safe. Be healthy. Like what you just heard, visit c-suiteradio.com. C-Suite Radio, turning the volume up on business. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.